Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Uh, Today we're starting a new series called A Tale of Two Shepherds, and for the next three weeks we're going to be going right through the book of 3 John. Um, It's a really small book, but you can find it really, really easily. Go all the way to the back of your Bible and go over a couple books, and voila, you're there. Real easy to find. Really short, really short uh, letter. Specifically, it's a very personal letter written from uh, the Apostle John. And this letter, written to a a guy by the name of Gaius, who is like the second coolest name other than Boaz, we talked about a couple weeks, Gaius, you know. Um, It's a very personal letter, and the amazing thing about this, this letter specifically, it's kind of like peering over the Apostle uh, John's shoulder as he's writing this letter to Gaius and you kind of see the, the inner workings and the communication of two different pastors. So if you ever wonder what preachers talk about, this is it for the next three weeks. And uh, nobody wants to hear what preachers talk about. Apparently no one laughed. So it was, I really thought that would hit bigger than that, but it kind of failed. You'll have that. But this, uh, this is a very very short and personal letter, but it is so full of truth and really... It's more than just listening to two pastors or shepherds talk to each other. It's kind of like the inner workings of a church, how it should be, and then sometimes how it kind of turns out to be. So part of this, and you'll see the, the really good side of it this week, and if you want to see the bad side of a church, come next week, because that's kind of like the, no, I'm serious, it's kind of like you kind of look into it, and, and they're part of this instruction, he looks at it in, in kind of the communication um, becomes kind of muddy and kind of difficult and kind of challenging. So even the, the tenor of John's voice as he's writing changes. And it's really interesting. I would just say that I think it would benefit you to come back all three weeks. And don't skip out on next week. As I said, next week's going to be controversial or weird, all right? That's not your excuse not to come. I expect you all to be here. I have a mental image of where you're sitting. So just come back and sit there. But this, uh, I've been looking forward to this series for quite a long time. And this is one of those things that's like been in the, I would say, the, the, the sermon incubator for months. And just kind of stirring and processing and kind of seeking the Lord and saying, okay, is this, is this the time? Is this not the time? What do you want for us? What do you, is, this, is this a season that we need this? And yet, I've been kind of challenged with this and I, I sought the Lord and got clarity just a few weeks ago. And I know that this is what we're supposed to go through. I know this is going to be beneficial for you and our church as a whole. I know this because the health of every church is based off of the quality of the relationships in that church. That makes sense to you? Like the health of a church is only going to be as good as the, qual- or as, as the, as the quality of the relationships within that church. And yet, we have seen the Lord do some amazing things over the last several months and year. We've had new people come in, and we kind of have, if I'm honest, we kind of have some segments here and segments there, and yet, we all need to come together. And the Bible uses a word, it's called unity. And yet, we all have our own thing, we all have our own friends, and we all need to come together so we can work as one. Because when the church works as one, there's nothing else like it on earth nothing there's something special about the local church so as we get into third john we are only going to be in verses one through 
8. And then there's some extra scripture that we will kind of jump into. So as we normally do around DBC, I'll read through the scripture, draw out the truths, we'll present them, and then talk about ways to apply them. Verse 1 says, the elder, so he's identifying, John is identifying, he says, I'm the elder. Literally that word, it it, it doesn't mean like uh, the leader in the church, that isn't the word used here. He literally is saying the elder, the old man, the the more established, uh, you know, a person longer in life, that kind of thing. So this word he's talking about, he says, I, I'm, I'm the older man here. He says, yes, I'm, I'm the older man, and, I'm, and he's writing this personal letter to, what was his name? Gaius. You listen well. Here we go, at the end of verse 1. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Three references, he says, in the truth in this text. He says, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. He says, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. There it is again. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He says, dear friend, in verse 5, You are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers. Brothers here, for the Christians around you. He says, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. And look at verse 7. There is a component in verse 7 that literally is the reason why this church and other churches exist. Verse 7. It says, it is for the sake of the name. Everybody say, for the name. He says, it is, it is for the sake of the name. And I love this. It's for the sake of the name that they went out. Receiving no help from the pagans. He says, they weren't receiving any help from non-Christians. But it was for the sake of the name. And he's kind of, he's referencing the movement of God up, in the, up until this time. This book, of uh, this letter, rather, compiled in the Bible was written in the early 60s. So, like, 60s A.D., right? Not 1960s, just, you know, in case you get confused. So, in the early 60s, and he says, up to this point, there has already been a movement of God. Paul's missionary journeys are already on the move. Christians are actually going out in Paris, and they are doing the work of evangelism, and they're planting churches, and they're helping see people's lives changed. And he says, it's for the sake of the name that the people went out. Not for the sake of themselves, not for the sake of that we're going to create a bunch of little churches and we're going to come in and sing songs and we're going to meet everybody's needs within the church and we're going to do all this. He says, my, the, the purpose of this, he says, we were sent out for the sake of the name. Now, after they were sent out, this is really pictured well. If you haven't maybe read the Bible in a while, I would say go and read through the book of Acts. It's kind of a history lesson of the movement of God in the early days of the church. It's very compelling. It's very, very interesting. And we talk about the Apostle Paul. We may mention him in a little bit. And literally, his conversion to the faith is in uh, the book of Acts in chapter 9. It's very compelling. So if you haven't read your Bible in a while, that'd be a good thing to pick up, and especially if you like history. And yet, it's for the sake of the name that they went out, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. They were so compelled by them, and just this movement of God that's stirring in their hearts, 
that they knew whether they, they were there at, the, at the, the resurrection and they saw those the things and they saw Jesus come back and they, they saw His ascension. They saw all these things of Jesus and they were so moved in their spirit and they said, you know what? It's for the sake of the name that we're going out. It's for the sake of the name that this church exists. And I would say, if any church that does not exist for the sake of the name is destined for failure and I hope their doors close very, very quickly. Because it's the name of Jesus is the reason why I stand on this stage and bring this message. I hope that it's the reason why you, I hope that you have either received Jesus or at least you're kind of seeking the faith and that's why you're here. Because it's for the sake of the name. Changed all of mankind and existence as we know it. And it says, he received no help from the pagans. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then verse 8. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that they may work together, there it is again, for the truth. Hmm, interesting. So the Apostle John, is he's commending Gaius and he says, you're doing a great work. He says, you're kind of like my spiritual child. He literally wasn't his child, but it's just like a special connection you have when you mentor someone and when you, you help bring them up in the Lord. Maybe if you, you've actually led somebody to Christ or you've helped in the discipleship process of that person, of bringing them up in the faith and establish them in the faith. And, and John is like speaking to Gaius, not down to him as far as, you know, I'm the leader wagging his finger. He's kind of speaking down to him almost like a child. And he says, hey, I want you to be where I am. I want you to mature to this point. He says, I'm commending you. You're doing a great work. He says, I see that you're doing a great work. I, I can, I, I've noticed it. I can see that, that people are being changed by your message. It's for the sake of the name that, that people were sent out. And, and the, Apostle, or the Apostle John is saying, I commend you. You are doing a great job. But then, as you get into the text couple things. I'm going to jump to verse 8, and then we're going to back up. He says, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men, so that we may work together for the truth. Which is interesting. That Gaius is being commended because he's showing hospitality to other traveling Christians coming through. People he doesn't even know, but he just knows that they're, they're people sent out because of the name. And what's, what is the name? Church, what is it? Jesus. He says, hey, people are being sent out for the sake of the name of Jesus. And he says, and I know that you are helping them in their journey. You're doing so. You're, you're providing a level of hospitality. You're opening up your home. You're opening up your wallet. You're opening up your life to them. And that way, at the end of verse 8, it says, we ought therefore, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. So when we open up our home, we open up our wallet, we open up our life to someone else, open up to other Christians, we are actually being partners in the truth. That we are partnering with the truth when we open ourselves up to other Christians and we help other ministries. And when we forward the gospel, we're all working as one. All working as one. 
Verse 2 says this, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. First point I would take from this, this text is that we need to create personal space. We need to create some personal space. Now, I, I have to give you a little confession, all right? I'm a pastor. Uh, you know, I'm not like a priest, so we don't like necessarily have to do this with the... the anyway, we, we don't need to do all that, but I'm going to give you just a really, really small confession. Uh, I found out recently that I am a close talker. Anybody know what a close talker is? A close talker means if you've eaten something in the last five minutes, a close talker is probably going to catch some of it. That's what that means. And I found this out the bad way, um, a really bad way. And the person's not in here who I was talking to, but, but I was just, you know, I was like really intent in this conversation. And, and I'm just like talking to them. And I, and I guess I found out my tendency is when they're like over there, my tendency is, and I'm talking to you, I want you to have all my attention. So, so I get close, you know. And I'm having this conversation with somebody, but, and everything starts out fine, but then all of a sudden, it's, it's almost like he'd been chewing like dry Ritz crackers all day, and he, everything that he said had a pee in it, and it was going poo, 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 flying all over me. And it was like, literally, I mean, it was like all over me, and, and this, is the, this is the most embarrassing part. Um, I think one of them went in my mouth, so that is terrible. And you laughed, so that means it's really terrible. Um, so I'm sitting there, I'm not talking about personal space like that, but you know what, when it comes to people, sometimes we think in, in our culture, if we're honest, sometimes we think, you know what, well, I need to keep my space from people and I just can't trust people. That's not what I'm talking about here. Personal space is taken from this scripture really on two different levels that's talked about in, in verse 2. He says, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. He says, I pray that you have good health. You see, it takes physical health for us, this personal space, a little buffer in your life. That's what I'm talking about here. A little buffer in your life. That you can still be close to people, but yet you have to have a little buffer in your life. You can't be just running yourself just ragged all of the time. You have to have a little, a little space in your life, create a, a little space for physical health. So you stay healthy. You're no good for the gospel if you're just tired or sick, right? Who, who's ever just gone and just been so exhausted they even, they even woke up? I mean, in the morning, they literally woke up tired. Who's ever done that? Woke up tired. And yet, you know that when you get to that point and you wake up tired, you're thinking, you know what? Something has to change. Something has to change in my life and I need to create some space in my life. I'm running just a little bit thin. John is, is commending Gaius and he says, hey, I know that, that, we'll get to the spiritual side in a minute, he says, I know that, that spiritually you're doing well, but he says, I want you to have good health because you're not going to be any good for the gospel if, if you have poor health. If you don't take care of yourself physically, and I know church, I know this is not favorable you know, in, in churches to talk about all this stuff, I get it, but yet if we have to maintain a physical health because we're no good to God if we're just walking around tired or sick all the time and yet we're supposed to be partners in the gospel we're supposed to be conveying the gospel in our lives we have to have a little space in our life so we can do what verse 8 said and create atmospheres for hospitality for welcoming people into our life we can't just run ourselves ragged it reminds me of something my, my grandma used to say this little grandma harris she may hear this i don't know i'm, I'm giving her 
you know, I'm giving her her due respect with this. She said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right? Who's heard that before? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And she sit down in her chair, in her little rocking chair, in, in, the, in the, the nice living room, which she would kind of just sit in there by herself, and she would just sit in there, sometimes rock back and forth, and she'd say, you know what, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And aren't you? I mean, aren't you, aren't you just sick and tired of being sick and tired all the time? You know very, very quickly when your life gets out of balance, don't you? That's when you wake up tired. That's when you wake up tired. That's when you have, that's when you have, no, you have no space in your life to invest in someone else. That's when you're just like, you're just on the hamster wheel of life and you're just going back and forth and back and forth. You're working home and waking up, working home and all of these things and you're exhausted all the time and hopefully you get to come to church and you, know, you don't get to go to this, this activity and don't do that activity or maybe you're so bogged down with kids' activities and you have no time for anything else. And you know that you need to create some personal space. You know that you need to create some personal space. That means that you have to choose not to do some things. That means when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, that maybe you have to say no to some overtime. That maybe means that you need to, to create a little, a little distance in your life to where you can just recover. And yet... It even comes, to, and, and it's a matter of the things that we do. It's a matter of exercise. It's a matter of nourishment of our body. That it's fuel to get us by. The things that we eat kind of determine how we feel, right? Who, who remembers the name Slim Goodbody from PBS from the 80s? Anyone who's like a few. Okay, those of you don't, you're actually better off if you don't know who Slim Goodbody is. Because Slim Goodbody from PBS, when I was growing up, he like taught us, um, before we had health class, we had Slim Goodbody. And Slim Goodbody, literally, um, he would be on PBS, and he was a full-grown man with an afro, and he, yes, afro, and, and he wore basically leotards, I don't know, a spandex, something, and it literally, depending upon the episode and what he was teaching you, sometimes it would look like a full-on skeleton. Sometimes he would show you like your digestive system. That was interesting. Sometimes he'd show you, your, you know, your, your circulatory system, your blood flow and all that. And Slim Goodbody taught me a long time ago. He says, hey, what you eat really matters. But you know what? When we're, when we're kids, you don't even appreciate it. You don't even care. I mean, we live on like, you know, on... Tootsie Rolls and, you know, whatever. Tootsie Rolls and Fruit Loops. I mean, we do whatever. You eat whatever and you're fine. But when you get a little bit older, then you start to realize, oh, I've got to be careful of what I eat. I've got to be careful of what I do. Each, if you're a Christian, you have a responsibility to be somebody who, who conveys the gospel. If you don't have some personal space set up in your life where you're not running yourself ragged, you're going to be of little use to the gospel. And that really has to do with the church. Your, your goal, if you're a Christian and you're at this church or, or in any church, is that you would be involved. And the only way you can be involved in a church is if you've created a personal space to say, you know what, I want to commit this time to serving God. I, I, don't, I'm, I, I spend all week serving, you know, serving a paycheck, and yet I want to take this amount of time and I want to serve God. And I want to do it at church. You should be seeking your, your own personal spiritual gifts. 
You should be seeking those things. You, you already know what your talents are. Maybe you need some clarity with that. I would say talk to somebody else who's here at the church to help to develop them. It takes all of us to pull off the work of God, even at a local church our size. It takes all of us, or else we wouldn't be here. So we see the, 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 the physical side. Scripture that I would uh, allow to speak into that is 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So our bodies, we know as we get older, our bodies go to a state of decay. And the older we get, the more, you know, the more physically we, you know, we, we kind of fall to the consequences of, of decay in our bodies. And we start to feel weak, don't we? Anybody ever feel weak? I'm 38 and I feel weak, okay? So I know that you do. And yet, we know that, that outwardly, that we're wasting away. And if we're wasting away, that means we need to pick and choose what we do, when we do it. We need to live intentionally. We need to do things intentionally. We need to take care of our bodies. As it is a temple of the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, we need to do these things. And yet, we know outwardly we are wasting away, but yet the amazing thing of the Gospel, if you've received Jesus, yet inwardly, as that Scripture says, we are being renewed day by day. Verse 2. He says, I pray that you may enjoy good health, the physical health. And he says that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well, spiritual health. He says, I see the work in you. I see what God is doing in you. You you love God and the way that that's showing up is you're loving other people. You know, if you love God, it will show up in the way that you love other people. One determines the other. And yet, we know in our bodies, we're, we're, we're kind of wasting away. We have aches and pains. We're kind of, we go through times of sickness. And those are reminders that our bodies are wasting away. And yet, with the love of Jesus Christ and the work that happened on the cross and the renewing, the Holy Spirit living within us, that renewal can happen day by day. And that's, that's pretty amazing because the difference this makes is somebody could be so physically sick and yet wake up in the morning with the joy of the Lord. I've seen it. And it's the Lord being, just bring, bringing a state of renewal day by day. Sometimes it takes us to be a little bit disciplined in what we do and nobody really likes discipline, Right? But it's the same things. If you're raising kids, it's the same thing that you tell your kids or the same thing that, that you tell your grandkids or that your parents told you. You know what? When you were running on a slippery surface, and we have a real life example of that around the church right now, you're running on a slippery surface and you know, you're going through and maybe it's around the pool and you would tell them, don't run. What are you going to say? Stop or slow down. You're going to say, you know what? Corinthians tells us bad company corrupts good character. Sometimes you need to create personal space against people who bring you down. Sometimes you need to create some personal space and just kind of back up a little bit. You can love them, but you have to love them at a distance for a time. You need to create some personal space as far as that goes. 
We have to discipline ourselves. We have to pick and choose what we're going to do when we're going to do it. Because if we don't pick and choose what we're going to do, our employer is. Or your kid's sports schedule is. Or your kid's activities are. We pick and choose what we're going to do. That's a disciplined life. Now the next part of this I would say, and and this is speaking into this uh, same idea. In verse 5 it says, Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers. Even though they're strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It is for the sake of the name that they, were, that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So, second thing I would say is we need to create, or we need to be creating some financial space. Creating some financial space in your life. You're, you're going to be of little value to, to other people and for the gospel if you've spent all the money on yourself. There's something very simple that, uh, the message that I taught earlier in the year, and, and it had these three words. It was send, save, spend. And we love the spending, don't we? Anybody say amen to that? Spend a little money? Spending your money is better than mine, but that's neither here nor there. So we send, save, spend. The reason why I brought those three things out, yeah, it's kind of sticky, you can kind of remember them, but the idea of send is like telling your money where it's supposed to go. So you have control of your money, and your money doesn't have control of you. We have to create some financial space in our life to do ministry. We need to create some some financial space to say, you know what? Yeah, we have this, and that's the send portion of that phrase, sending money out to build the kingdom of God. Part of that is to give to the local church. Part of that is to give to other ministries. But part of that is just to put some money, budget some money in your life to invite other folks into your life. Maybe take some, some other folks out to lunch after church on a Sunday. Maybe it's to invite them over to your house on a Friday to play some games. But it takes money to do that, doesn't it? We have to create some financial space in our life. There's personal space. Physical health, spiritual health, and now some financial space. And yet, if our finances are all out of whack, and we're on all kinds of debt, we have less money to honor God with, right? The idea of sinned. Two things I want to say about this, specifically. Um, This is going to be news to you. Um, It was kind of news to me until about a week and a half ago. The idea of sinned. I have never done this since I have been the pastor of this church, but I feel is the moment that I heard this, I really felt like the Lord was, was calling us to do this. Everybody's scared right now. Um, a friend of mine, everybody knows about the tornadoes that hit Oklahoma, right? Everybody knows about that? Devastating. Took many lives. Well, the same storm system ravaged Texas before it hit Oklahoma. It hit the news but it didn't hit the news to the effect of the damage of Oklahoma. Well, part of those tornado systems in Texas destroyed its... A friend of mine pastors uh, a church around Granbury, Texas, and it, it destroyed the worship leader's home. So he is left without a home. 
And the moment that I heard that, I, something kind of welled up in me and I thought, you know what? There's just, we've just got to do something for this. And it speaks right into this. This is a matter of hospitality, creating financial space. And I, here's what I'm going to do, church. I know if you're a Christian, uh, this is one of those things we expect Christians to give. Whether you attend this church or another church, we expect Christians to give. Those who have received so much from Jesus, it, it only makes sense to give back to Him what, it, what is due to Him. Amen? Now, part of this also, in speaking, it, it really kind of conveys a message here. We see somebody who's a partner in the gospel who's suffering, who's lost his home. And yet I think us as a church, we need to step up to the plate and whether it's we give $100 or we give $1,000 or somewhere in between, we need to step up, put some money together to this brother in Christ who's suffering, who doesn't have a home to say, you know what, right now I understand you're going through a difficult time, but we want to partner with you. We, we understand that you are a brother in Christ and we want to help you so you're not stuck in this situation. So here's what that means to us. Between today... And next Sunday, if you feel compelled, and maybe you feel compelled to give right now, I don't know. If you feel compelled to give to this individual, what I would like for you to do is write a check, write a check, put it in the brown box. But in the memo, write it to Dublin Bible Church, and part of the memo, I want you to put Texas Tornado Relief. And every bit of money that is given that says Texas Tornado Relief, every dime of that will go right to him. It will go through, uh, like I said, it's a friend of mine who pastors there, and it will go to his church, Within goes directly to him. That's what we're supposed to do when we see other Christians in need, that we would step up. And it doesn't matter if you're not wealthy, you scratch together nickels, dimes, quarters, pennies, whatever it takes. But we need to rise to the occasion in situations like this. You would want them to do the same for you. He has no expectation of us sending money. But yet I knew the moment that I heard that, something was welling up in me and saying, you know what, us as a church, we need to put, we need to put kind of our, you know, our money where our mouth is and say, oh, we're praying for you, brother. We need to say we're praying for you and we want to help you get back on your feet. So in between the end of this talk and the end of next week's talk, if you feel compelled to give, and I personally am going to give, I want you to put it in the brown box, Texas Tornado Relief, every dime of that, will go exactly where it needs to and help him get back on his feet. Something else. Part of this send, save, spend idea, the second part of this, um, I gave you kind of a, me and the elders, of course, gave you a financial snapshot a couple months ago of the condition of our church financially. And I would say this, um, this past month, just complete clarity, we have nothing to hide at this church. Financial, we don't hide anything. Um, but one of the things that I want to just convey to you, this past month, we praise God that we had a great giving month. We praise God. And yet, the months preceding that were very much in a deficit. We're still in the condition of when we showed you the snapshot um, during the congregational meeting. So if you're behind on your giving, um, for whatever reason that you have not had a chance to give, this would be a great opportunity. We're, we're in a very tough place financially we're trusting God we're trying to use his principles and his wisdom as far as what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it and yet the reality is it takes for you and I to create some financial space in our life to forward God's kingdom and one way that you do that is right here in your local church I also with that 
I would say if this church has been beneficial to you, maybe it's, it's impacted you or your kids, and you say, you know what? I know that God has done something in me since you've been at this place. Give back to God by taking some out of your bank account and put it back in the brown box. Whatever the amount is that you feel compelled to give. We need it. We do need it. But I want to be honest with you about where we are financially. Um, now, as a church, I also want to share this with you. If you could uh, go to 1 Timothy 4, 7. See, we live in a, in a place of tension this is not on the topic of finances, but we live in a, in a, in a place of tension to where we've, we've kind of moved away from people and, and we've kind of, we've backed away from people. Maybe it's because things we see in the media or maybe we have these fears that have kind of crept into our culture and people now, you know, we don't really, we don't really know our neighbors like we used to. We don't invite people into our homes like we used to. We almost have a fear of people, you know, different than what we used to. Anybody else experience this? And yet, these things have kind of crept in and we've kind of started to believe some lies. And really, it's some of the lies of our culture are saying that, you know, for all of us, we just, you know, you need to stay away from people. We need to, we need to remove ourselves away from people. And we are so living in fear that we're not effectively living out the gospel, which is dangerous, which is very, very dangerous there's a warning that the apostle paul gave to timothy a young pastor and he says this verse 7 he says have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives tales rather train yourselves to be godly hmm so pastor what are you what are you talking about what are these old wives tales you talking about cleanliness is godliness? No. And all moms and wives said, Amen. No. You see, the myths and old wives' tales in their time was different than what it is in ours. See, in our time, there's these myths going around as you can't trust anybody. Don't bring anybody into your house. Nobody can be trusted. If don't open your wallet and give it to a church, they're just not going to take care of it anyway. You don't want to give to that organization because who knows where that's going to go. It's probably not going to go to that hungry child that they're promising. See, those are myths and wives' tales of our day that people can't be trusted. Fear everybody. That sounds a whole lot like a strategy of the enemy, doesn't it? Divide and conquer if i can divide christians over here and 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 put the non-christians over here oh and it's even better if i can get the christians over here and i'll put some more christians over here and i can put some more christians over here and i'll put a few more over here and then i'll put a few more over here and they won't work together then basically the effectiveness of their ministries will be so diminished and the enemy wins those are some wives tales some other Wives' tales and myths of our day. Not necessarily speaking into that, but speaking into our culture. Some godless myths of our day. One of them is this. 
Tolerance trumps truth. Tolerance trumps truth. Tolerance is like a hot-button word right now, isn't it? There's this, this idea of tolerance, like we have to tolerate everybody and you have to do this and you just, everybody view them the same and all these things. You know what, some of that is right, but there's this, this idea that tolerance trumps truth. That we have to tolerate everybody and in the process of tolerating everybody, truth is back here. I'm sorry, that's not the way it goes. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the what? The truth and I am the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. So he says, if I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life, everything filters through Jesus to everybody else. It isn't tolerance trumps truth. Truth trumps all. Another godless myth in our day is equality makes your truth equal to God's truth. Equality makes your truth equal to God's truth. Now, if you are, I would say, if you were born anyway from about 1971 up till now, this really is speaking into your life because we have some things have happened in our culture and kind of shifted our culture around to where now everybody questions truth. And, and you may have heard of this phrase. You may have. Everybody decides their own truth. Have you ever heard anything like that? Like your truth is your truth and that's fine. You just keep it over there. But yet Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. So that's not right. That's not right. And equality makes your truth equal to God's truth. That could not be farther from the actual truth, capital T. It couldn't be farther from that. God's truth is the basis of our faith. We don't have equality as people in this country that we live in without God's truth. It's God's truth that has taught us what equality is. That's one of the godless myths of our culture. And another godless myth is that all paths lead to the same God. That's not true either. And yet we hear it. We hear it. It doesn't matter what news agency that, that you watch. They all say something very similar. That all, basically that all, all ways lead to the same God. It's not the truth. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's the only way. Amen? He's the only way. Now, part of this I, I would say before we get on to the last part that really is, is a lot more uh, leads into direct application back to 3 John verse 8 he says we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that, may we, that we may work together for the truth so the first thing we said was we need to create some personal space then we need to create some financial space and we also need to create some living space. Third thing, create some living space. This is the idea of hospitality. Create this, this living this space in our life where we can allow other people to come in. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but basically everything that we do at this church is based around 
Um, our strategy, and this will be on the screen, and the strategy is, is belong, become, beyond, or begin. Pretty much everything, every atmosphere, every activity, every environment that you have been in at this church, whether you knew it or not, has to do with these four points. And you see, there's really no starting and stopping, is there? If you look at, at the screen, there's no starting and stopping. This is, just, this is just something we're supposed to take part in, and it's never-ending. It takes into account the, the growth of, uh, of someone growing into maturity, but then also helping other people grow into maturity. So it says, the, the very first thing, my top left, yours as well, is this idea of belonging. This is creating living space. As a church, how we do this is we want to make our church as unified as we possibly can get. We want to make our church as welcoming as it possibly can get. That way, if somebody is, is coming off the street and they have never heard the gospel, we want them to walk into this place without judgment. That's what we want. We, that, that's our goal. That's what we strive for. Because we know that, that people, unbelievers, they have so many misconceptions about the faith. They look at a church and they say, the churches they're selfish, they're judgmental, they only care about themselves. And yet the reality is, some churches are that way, and every church can be that way if they're not intentional. They really can be. And yet, I, I believe the leadership in this church the senior leadership in this church, the ministry team at this church, we want this church to be a place where people belong. To where you don't just come in on a Sunday and you punch your ticket and you leave at 12 o'clock or 12.15, 12.20 if I'm just a little too long that day, you know. We want it to be a place where people feel like, you know what, I'm welcome here. I can lay my burdens here. I can experience Jesus here. I can see people grow here. I can take part in people's growth here. But then also the second part in that strategy after belonging is becoming. You see, we can be a place of of belonging and be so centered on that that we lose the essence of the gospel. Because the becoming is that you and I would be becoming more like Jesus every single day. So that we wouldn't be falling into the same sin patterns every single day. That the Holy Spirit would work in us. That we would day by day, that we would be renewing. Remember what we talked about earlier from 2 Corinthians 4.16? That spiritually we would be renewed day by day. So we wouldn't be the same old raggedy people we were 10 years ago. That we would be able to sit back at our life and say, You know what, I'm not who I want to be, but I'm surely not who I've been in the past. And we praise God for that, right? And yet, this is a church. In order for it to be a church, we have to be becoming more like Jesus. That we would feel like we belong, we all belong. Whether you're on this stage or in that seat, or serving with the the kids, or you're putting diapers on a baby, or whether we're serving our community together, we would all belong, but we would all be becoming more like Jesus. And not like leadership, not like somebody else. But we, each and every one, will become more like Jesus. The third part of that is that we need to be, as a church, the creating living space, that we would be living beyond ourselves. We would be serving here locally at our church, but we would also be serving our community, whether it's 
passing out water at the parade or at the soup kitchen or everything else, you know, the different things that we take part of here at this church. We don't do a whole lot of ministries intentionally because we want to do the ministries that we do take part in, we want to do them well. We want to do them well. The bigger that we get numerically as a church, the more God changes your life, the more that we can do as a church. But you have to create some living space for that to happen. So we not only just live our lives, you know, and care for our needs, but we would be thinking beyond ourselves. But then the last one is really the one I'm most excited about. Is this is this just continues the process. That would be for someone maybe that you would say, you know what, I'm 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 maturing in the faith. Maybe I'm a few steps into my journey of faith. I'm not there yet, right? We're not going to be there yet until we see Jesus. But yet, you may say, you know what? I've, I've learned some things. And yet, the part of this process and the begin is to say, you know what? Now I'm going to disciple someone else. You see, that's what makes a healthy church. But now, you know what? I'm going to look at somebody who's, who's not far along in the faith and say, you know what? I'm not going to look at you with judgment. But I'm going to look at you and say, and I'm not even going to look at you as a project. But I'm going to love you, and I'm going to disciple you. And when you do something wrong, I'm trying to course correct you. But when you do something right, I'm going to pat you on the back, and I'm going to say, good job. See, that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is is a daily walk with someone else. It's it's being so connected that you have this this living space, that you've created this living space that you, you can... Take time to pour into someone else. That's why we do this strategy at our church. We try and do everything intentionally and with purpose. Because people matter. People matter. It takes this personal space. And it takes us to do things and think beyond our walls. Now, there's going to be a list that's going to be on the screen. These are going to be very practical. um, Where some of the other... Concepts were more theoretical or just strictly theological. Um, five tips. Guys, don't check out on this because you need to basically help your wives to make this a reality in your home. But guys are like, yeah, whatever. These are five tips to basically, five tips for a hectic life or to make hospitality a reality with your hectic life. That's what I meant to say. So this is, yeah, we're busy, we've got all these things going on, and yet the reality is we're all called to a level of hospitality, and yet we live busy lives. So how do we do that? Five things. Uh, Make it easy. What does that mean? It's already hard. What do you mean? Make it easy. Bring them into, like, a matter of hospitality, bring them into something you're already doing. If you know you're going to go to lunch today after church, invite someone else to go to lunch with you. You don't have to pay for it. You can. But you don't have to pay for it. Make it easy. I would say this. In your home, if you have to clean your house for four hours before you can invite somebody over, is that easy? Ladies, what's the answer? Not so much. So what you want to do in that situation is make it easy. Invite them into something you're already doing. 
Invite them in a matter of hospitality. We have family XP going on that Amy talked about earlier. You have another, another family that you're friends with and they've got some kids. Invite them in. Be hospitable. Invite them into just a fun, loving environment. It's at Miss Bo's house. I can't think of any place more loving and fun than that. Trust me. It's incredible. Make it easy. It doesn't have to be difficult. If your house is a museum, right, and your house is perfect, you're good to go. Invite somebody over for dinner, a snack, something. I'm hungry. Make chicken. I'm coming. You know, whatever. But make it easy. It doesn't have to be difficult. Second thing is, just make it work. Make it work. Make it work. Make it a priority. Doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be difficult. Just make it work. Invite them. Invite them into something you're doing. Just make it work. It just comes down to a choice anyway, right? So you make it easy. You make it work. Make it normal. See, I grew up in a house where we didn't invite people over for dinner. As a matter of fact, I grew up in a house where we didn't have a lot of even family that would come over maybe once a year. And I didn't realize how odd that was until I became a Christian. And then there was a couple who, they were our early, early mentors, and they only mentored us for a very short time. And it was a couple by the name of Neil and Sally Adams. And they were the embodiment of this. They were the embodiment of those three, the, the three ideas that I gave you already. The financial space, personal space. They, I mean, really they embodied all of those things. And Neil and Sally Adams, they said, you know what? We're going to make it part of our budget. And they, they would allot money to invest in people like Chad and Marla Zook. And they took us out for a steak dinner. They took us out for a steak dinner. They didn't even know us. But you see, they made it part of their normal life. They just, pay, they just made it part of the normal life. It wasn't a big deal to them because they had already been thinking about furthering the kingdom ahead of time and sending them some, some money, setting some money aside to forward the kingdom of God. And it said one way that we can do that is to take some people like Chad and Marla Zook out to dinner. This has been many years. Why do you think I remember that? Why do you think I remember that? Because it stood out to me. They were very different and distinct and authentic people. And they made it normal. That was just who they were. That's just who they were. Make it cheap. This is all the guy's favorite right here. Make it cheap. It doesn't have to be a three-course meal. Good night. Go buy a Stouffer's. Throw it in the oven. Right? Go buy a Stouffer's. Throw it in the oven. Make it cheap. Cost you nine bucks. You feed a ton of people off of it. Who doesn't like Stouffer's? Right? Just make it cheap. It doesn't even have to be a meal. Invite them over for some tea and, and maybe a dessert and play some games. Open up your life to someone else. Make it cheap. Make friends. Because the world is absolutely full of acquaintances. Isn't it? Make friends. Man, this was such a foreign idea for me growing up not having people come into my house. And then I thought, well, that's just how you lived. You just shut the door and you shut everybody else out. But when I started to really start to live out the gospel, I realized that, you know what? My home is supposed to be a center for the gospel. That's what my home is supposed to be. 
My wallet is supposed to be a place that funds the gospel. My life is supposed to be a vehicle to share the gospel. But I can't do it myself. And God invites you in on that journey too. It takes all of us. 